0: This is The Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod
1: on W-E-E-I. Woo! Welcome to episode 243 of The Skate Podcast. I am Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Today's episode will be a mailbag episode dedicated to answering any and all questions that listeners have submitted to the podcast over the last week. But before we get into that, Bridget and Scott, how are you guys doing? And is there any updates on the Bruins? They have a few days off here between games.
0: I'm great. Uh, Got got my flu shot today. So, you know, really, really exciting times over here. Good productive use of down downtime in the Bruins schedule. Um, The one piece of news that came out of Wednesday's practice Oh, I got to turn off my email here, That <laughs> the mailbag, it's just, it's just this questions still just flying in going crazy. Um, yeah. So the one news that came out of Wednesday's practice is that Montgomery said Matt Grizzlick is expected back a week from Saturday. Um, So November 25th down in New York for that game. That's the first game he's eligible to come off long-term injured reserve. And sounds like there have not been any setbacks and he'll be ready to go then um before we get into our first question which is related to that uh give Bridget a chance Bridget how are you doing
2: I'm good I'm good I've been super busy too even though the Bruins are off for a few days I'm doing so much college hockey prep work I'm going up to Burlington Monday um because we're doing a UVM game on Ness and Tuesday I'm gonna be all over the place you're you're going to have a hard time pinning me down for for the next few episodes honestly. Um but yeah, no, what Scott said about Grizzly was probably the biggest um piece of information out of practice that we that's happened since the last time we recorded.
0: So, what what you're saying is people can now fill up the mailbag with their heady topper requests? Is that
2: and by people you mean scott (laughs) because like whenever i do a road trip i like i ask scott if he wants any beer from the breweries that i'm going to and i when i went to montreal i brought you back hill farmstead i brought everybody back
0: yeah that was very much appreciated you actually woke up this time because my sister was working in vermont this week so i'm I'm already covered on the Vermont beer. Form. Oh
2: well, you let me know. I'm yeah. going. I'm going to foam. I'm going to Burlington Beer Company. I'm going to probably another one. <laughs> I'm. I'm making a like a few days out of it. i And that's not broadcast day. All right, broadcast day no beer. But
0: <laughs> Bridges just just hammered on on eight and a half percent
1: IPAs. I,
2: I'm going up a day early to go to some of the breweries though. So. Yeah.
1: All right. Well. <laughs> um, so. Bridget Scott kind of alluded to it. I think there's there's a a first mailbag question that kind of discusses Grizzly and maybe yeah. if you want to kind of shout that out.
2: Okay, so yeah, our mailbag question is with Grizzly coming back. Will Laura be sent down? Uh and can So, yeah, will Laura be the one that's sent down and I think we've talked about this a little bit before. Um what we think about who's going to be the player to go down at that point, I'll start, I'll throw it to Brian to start. Is it hundred percent certain that Mason Lori is going down when Grizzly comes back and is healthy?
1: I don't think so. Um, I, I could be wrong about that, but the way I see it, you can always have a seventh defenseman around. So if, if Grizzlick wants to, if they want to insert Grizzly back into the lineup and have Lori be the seventh guy and just kind of, have that seventh defenseman be rotating in every other game, no matter who it is, where everybody's playing, then you can still carry him on the roster, have 7-D, but it won't be a situation where that seventh defenseman is just up in the press box, not getting any reps. Um, I, is Maybe they do send him down to Providence. I personally, like, I, I I acknowledge that he has stuff on his game to work on, but I just think, like, he's 23 years old, I believe, it's not like he's like an 18-year-old or 19-year-old fresh faced kid like like Matt Potra. It's like he's you know, he's in his early to mid-20s pretty soon. I just think I just think he's he's better off sticking around in the NHL and and as we've discussed, just developing at the NHL level. Keyword developing. Like I know he's not a finished product. So um if they send him back down to Providence, I don't think he's there for the rest of the season that like he'll come back up at some point for one reason or another but i want him to stick around do i think it's a 100% chance he goes down to providence no do i think it's likely maybe more so than not but i have no idea
0: yeah 22 turning 23 in january um by the way thanks to mark for that question mark all red black and gold productions always appreciate mark's support um so i would say if Grizzly were coming back this Saturday, as of right now, I would say Lori's probably going down. And the reason I say that is because I think Grizzly was playing pretty well before he got injured. You know, I've always, I've said for a while, like Derek Forbert usually stands out as sort of the weak link five on five, but that really hasn't been the case this year. The In fact, the Bruins have outscored opponents eight to one. When Forbert's been on the ice, five on five, they've given up very few high danger chances. Like he's, you know, obviously he's a big part of the penalty kill, which is number one in the NHL, but he's also more than doing the job at five on five right now. So I just don't think, I don't think there's any obvious person to sit. You know, I think Shattenkirk's generally been pretty good. Um, and if if you sit Shattenkirk, then someone's moving over to their offside, which, it, you can do, but just isn't ideal. Um and I I don't think Lori has forced the Bruins hand to a point where he has to be in the lineup. And that doesn't mean I think he's playing poorly. Those are two different things. I just think he's he's had some ups, he's had some downs. The overall results are the Bruins have tended to give up more chances than they've gotten when he's been on the ice. Um You know, if you dive in, like, by pairing, like, it's only been two games with McAvoy. There's going to be a few more, and that's where I say, like, as of right now, I think Laurie would go down, but the Bruins have four games between now and next Saturday. Like, this is a very busy part of the schedule. They play Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, before we even get to New York next Saturday. So, that could be four more games for him to play. Now you're at... 10 games in the NHL forum and you're you're looking at a little bit bigger of a sample size. So I still think there's a chance for him to force their hand. But if we're making the call right now, I'd say he probably goes down just so he can keep playing a lot of minutes and developing in Providence. And because you'd feel pretty good about the six other defensemen you have.
1: I also mentioned, Oh, sorry, Bridget, but, um, I also okay. mentioned, I, f- I forgot to mention this when I was going. Um, when we first talked about this, like last week or the week before, I said, I think he had like two points in three games. And I said something along the lines of, you know, if he were to have like seven to nine points in 10 to 12 games, how do you send him down? Uh, well, he hasn't had that. He actually hasn't had a, re- registered a point, I don't believe, since I mentioned that. So I guess to kind of go against my stance of like, I kind of want to see him stick around, I also acknowledge maybe, um, maybe to Scott's point, he hasn't done enough to force their hand.
2: Yeah, my question would just be if you kept a seventh defenseman, which would be the way that you had to keep Laura in the lineup, like who's the guy that you're rotating out? Like, I don't think Shattenkirk has had a bad year. I think Forbert, like you mentioned, Scott hasn't done anything to get taken out of the lineup at this point, um, as long as he's healthy. But that kind of leaves you in a position where – you know, you're rotating guys in and out who you almost feel like you'd rather just stick with a certain six and get them the ice time and send Laura down to develop and not have him waiting around playing only half half the games, like say he played every other game, switched out with Shattenkirk or switched out with Forbert, or even Grizzlick if like needed a maintenance day for whatever reason. Um you're you're not getting him as many reps as you probably like. Um, And you can definitely get him that ice time in Providence. So that's kind of the main consideration at this point is if everybody's healthy and you don't need someone to kind of come in and and take time for guys who are hurt for them to either have a maintenance day or actually legitimately need to be out of the lineup for injury. um, You're kind of stuck in a situation where you probably just want to send him down and have him develop in Providence. It doesn't hurt him to do that and you know maybe he comes back up sooner rather than later we're not sure how the health is going to work out with the Bruins blue line so
0: yeah and you know last year after the Bruins traded for Dmitry Orlov we saw like a true rotation on defense where it seemed like everyone got a turn resting and um it was like legitimately seven guys in and out all the time and and of course, poor Jacob Zaboral still barely playing, but um, you you could do that. And, and I actually would say, like, this would be the time. I would like doing that more now this time of year rather than last year in the second half. Because I do kind of wonder if, you know, doing that down the stretch last year, did that kind of mess up the chemistry a little bit and not really allow certain parents to kind of settle in ahead of the playoffs? Um, obviously you have so many games to go now that I don't think that would be an issue. Like you're not, you're not trying to lock down your playoff pairings just yet. So, um, you could, but I don't even really love the idea of Lori being in a rotation. Like I, I really do want him playing like just a lot of games and a lot of minutes because it, to me, it's reps that he needs. Like it, it, he just needs to play um you know we're talking we're still talking about someone who's only played what a couple dozen professional games at this point between Providence and Boston so I just want him to play a lot and I think he can do that in Providence he can play in every situation um like I said to this point for me he hasn't forced his way into an everyday role in Boston and that's not that's not any sort of criticism. It's not a disappointment. It's just, that's what I think of his six games so
1: far. So and that
2: kind of, that kind of, if just to like move us ahead onto a similar topic, a similar question that we got was about load management. So Jeff sent us an email and he said, is there, should there be a plan for load management of rookies? And we're kind of talking about load management of defense at this time of year. Should there be load management for rookies? And I guess, Laura, would be included in that, but I think mostly we're talking Patra here, um, maybe also talking about Beecher. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts?
1: I mean, I think the Bruins don't really have the luxury of doing load management with Matt Patra in particular because you're still trying to identify your chemistry up front, and he's an integral part of that. So to I just think you're delaying the – I guess, uh, scouting process of, of what your forward grouping should potentially be. Um, and I just think – I'm not saying you can't maybe sit him down here or there if you feel like he's just fatigued or, in a, or, or, or mentally needs needs to go up to the ninth floor for a minute to, to look at the game from above. But to do like a set, you know, schedule like Potter's going to, you know, sit out every three games or whatever. It's like, no, I, 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 if you're part of the team, you're part of the team and look, the, the NHL schedule is, is grueling. It's demanding. It's 82 games. Um, a lot of travel, a lot of practices, but you know, I don't think, I don't think, uh, massaging the shoulders of a rookie to help integrate him into the pro life is the best way for them to learn. I think he's going to kind of throw him into the fire. And if he's showing signs of fatigue or like he needs to, like I said, take a game or two off to watch from above then you do it but I don't think a set schedules is, is necessary
0: yeah and Jim Montgomery has actually asked about this idea it was after one of the games against Anaheim because the Ducks are doing this with Leo Carlson uh, the second overall pick from this past summer um, they have like a set plan of him sitting certain games uh, they said you know practice and weight room is just as important part of his development as games. And they don't want to overwork him. Um, to Brian's point though, I don't think the Bruins have that same luxury Anaheim has like $8 million in cap space. So like they have money to carry extra players and, you know, be able to sit guys out here and there. The Bruins are right up against the cap. Like they, they don't have money to play with where they can just be calling guys up and down, moving guys in and out. Like, they're going to have maybe one extra forward at any given time. Um, And Potcher is an important part of the team. He's one of their centers. Uh, He's helping them win games. Like Laurie, I think playing games is what's going to help him the most, Um, getting him into different situations, having him kind of see everything you you have to see in NHL competition. Um, And Montgomery did say, like, Yes, young players, especially rookies, tend to hit some sort of wall at some point. And he said, you know, right now their plan for that would be, all right, if it if there's an optional skate, tell him he's taking the option. Tell him you're resting that day. You have the day off. Um, you know, you can do. You can load manage his minutes, right? We, we kind of seen that already where Patrick got bumped up to the first line, had a couple of games where he's up to like 17, 18 minutes. Then they moved him down to the third line and the minutes go back down to, you know, 14, 14 and a half. Like there are ways to do it without just saying, okay, we're completely giving him a night off. Um, You know, and as you get to the second half, if you feel like you have to do that, you you can, you can always reevaluate these things. But right now, no, I don't think the Bruins need um, a set plan. And, and, you know, with Beecher's like Beecher already went through a pro season in, in Providence. So him, I would say even less. So like he's, he's actually used to the heavier schedule, the full season and just physically he's more developed. Like Johnny Beecher, you look at him like he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's a man. Like he's not,
2: he's, he's not. not bumped around. Muscle. Yeah. Yeah. He's not getting bumped around super easily. And also naturally as a fourth line center, you're going to get fewer minutes. So that line, it's not like he has the extra wear and tear of a say a, a top six uh forward, he's gonna be getting fourth line minutes. I know he gets penalty kill minutes, so you know that adds to his time. But I think that if if we're talking about the three rookies, Lori Patra, and Beecher, Beecher would definitely be the one that I would say needs it the least. Like I don't think load management comes up with him really at all. I think if you were to keep a rotation and keep Lori in there, that would automatically create uh, some load management for him and for the other defensemen. And for Patra, like you mentioned, Scott, maybe some games he gets less time, maybe some games he gets more, but you also c- want to work on his conditioning and, and help him get to that space. And I'd be interested, I don't know if we're allowed to <laughs> talk to like the strength and conditioning people, because I would love to kind of um, just have an interview with one of the strength and conditioning people and talk to them about what the plan are plan is and how they deal with certain things mid season in terms of putting on weight or in terms of trying to get guys stamina up. Um, it's just something that I'm fascinated with always. So I don't know if we'd be able to Scott at some point, talk to one of those people and kind of pick their brain a little bit about what kind of strategy you use there.
0: I kind of doubt it. I'm not going to say impossible, but me too. I but
2: it's just like, I feel like uh... it's a, it's such an underlying part of the game that I would just like to have that background in, you know, cause it's not our expertise. We're not, we're not trainers. We're not, you know, doctors. I, those are the kind of things I wish I knew so that I could kind of understand what the thought process is for, for dealing with certain situations like this.
0: Yeah. I mean, like we, we see all of them around practice and I, I think, um, they I think they're they're good. Like just kind of shooting the shit here and there in the hallway with media. I don't think doing an interview would really be their favorite. But you know, we we can ask at some point. All you can do is ask.
1: I would love being given to be given the green light about. All right, you got to put on some weight this month. So go here's the uh go to go to Chick Fil A on on Boylston Street or as much as you want and as often as you want. I would I would literally turn into the movie with Super Size Me for like a month. You know, but the amount of skating these guys are doing, you probably won't even notice any weight
2: Some people's metabolisms are so high that you could eat two to three times more than necessary, your amount of calories, and you still wouldn't put on weight. Like I have a friend who we were—my tra- brother is a trainer. Like we were trying to get him to put on weight for over a year. He was not putting on any weight, even though he was eating twice the, re- the recommended calories for someone his uh size and age i mean sometimes people just metabolize it and it's it's not as easy as you think
1: what's it not to not not to go too off topic but i do have a quick little brian mailbag question for the two of you what's your favorite cheat meal or like meal where you're just like this is very unhealthy i don't give a shit i'm i'm gonna enjoy it poutine <laughs> oh good answer
2: <laughs> i like
1: the people in family one. feud good answer good answer yeah. uh yeah.
0: I mean probably just like chicken parm just like like I can eat like a ton of chicken parm and mm-hmm. yeah you know, like like sometimes I'll eat chicken parm like in moderation like no uh, all right like we're not going crazy but if I go to a restaurant that has like big portions
1: mm.
0: I'll I'll just eat all of it and I'm like I know this is gross like I know this is really bad I know this is gross I'm going <laughs> to regret this later but don't care like just so good
1: I I mean There's a million and one answers here. Um, I think for me, if I had to think of one, I would say like, and there's a few places I have in mind in particular when I say this, but like a chicken parm sub uh, accompanied with like a chicken broccoli alfredo pizza. And, and of course, like, you know, a nice greasy bag of fries, like give it to me all all day. All right. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, As I was just
0: going to say, like a a good steak and cheese sub. too. Of course,
1: of course, of course, you know, I've been saying for like, like a year, Scott, like with you off and on. Like I, and I haven't been honestly, since we started this podcast, cause I remember saying this to you, but like, I just have the biggest craving to go to Augusta's and, and just get like their chicken cordon bleu sandwich, a chicken parm sandwich, just sit in my car and just like listen to WWEI, of course, on the radio um or the skate pod and just like house it. But <laughs> now I'm getting hungry. It's 1.30 <laughs> when we're recording. So this is not good. We got to get back on the rails here.
2: Okay. Uh, I'll, guys- I'll take
1: full responsibility for that.
2: I'll drive. Usually it's me. I'll drive us right back. So uh, sticking with Patra, we have had a few questions come up about where, where to rotate Patra and in in particular wanting to know, will Marchand eventually end up on that line with Patra and Nebraska? Is that like the final goal? Is that something that um, would be a long-term line potentially? And so I guess we'll go go to scott first what do you think about that
0: yeah i mean i, I think it makes sense to like eventually end up there but obviously the, like the one issue there is who's going up to the zaka line if Marchand is with Patrón and de and we've seen some van reamsdike there that's sort of like the only other natural fit um and right now, Van like's playing so well with Coyle and Frederick that I kind of, in this moment, I don't think you're messing with anything. So, like, I'm not going to break things up right now and, and put Marsh in with patrick and DeBrusque. But at some point, especially if patrick continues to play well, like, that makes a lot of sense as a second line. Um, I just think it, it might require you to make a move for another top six forward if you know in in an ideal world you're keeping GVR with coil and frederick so um i would say possible and and if you end up there it probably means something else has gone well or you've landed another good player um but i don't see it happening well i'll say i don't see it happening right now but obviously with montgomery anything could happen at any time So.
2: Don't get mad at me for suggesting this and I'm talking to our listeners. This is just because this is actually something that Montgomery tried. He put Lucci there once. Um, Lucci is a left winger. Uh, he one time was rolling out a line with Lucci, Zaka, and Pasternak. So I know Lucci's not healthy yet, but he's getting there. Don't know if that's your, you know, you try that. <laughs> I don't know. Or if, like you said, Scott, you... You have to go out and, and get another top six winger.
1: Well, I, I'll i say this. Uh, if this is the year of opportunity, right, with this team, and because they have the luxury of the gap they have between them and the field right now, you know, at some point, they do have uh, a right wing in the system who is their top prospect or one of, and it was a point-of-game player around in Providence right now maybe there's an opportunity at some point to call Fabian Lysell up just to see what he can do for a couple of games maybe with the intention of putting him back down afterwards but I think I think that the obvious answer is like like they need a top six forward um added to this current Bruins roster I'm not even saying Fabian Lysell is that guy or could be that guy this year but I am interested to see, like in this situation that is painted in this question, if you do drop Marshan down with Patra and DeBrusque, which we haven't really seen, and we've been calling for it, and I don't want to touch the uh, the the JVR coil Frederick line. Yeah, I don't know. Could you guys see a window of opportunity? Window of opportunity for Lysel at some point for a trial?
0: Yeah, I, I could. You know, he has. Lysell has 10 points in his last seven games down in Providence. He's the leading scorer on the team. So I know for a lot of people, the last thing they saw from Lysell was a disappointing training camp and preseason. But as we said at the time, like you want him to go down to Providence and handle this situation the right way and get off to a strong start Well, he's doing that. So um, that's encouraging. I don't think any sort of call up is imminent, but yeah, at some point this year, it could certainly be in the cards, especially if there is, you know, an injury or two that opens up uh, an opportunity like we've seen with the Laura on defense where it's like, you know, yeah, maybe everything else being equal and everyone being healthy, Lori probably wouldn't have been called up yet. But you get that opportunity, you get this look at him, you see how he does. I could definitely see something like that happening with Lysel at some point.
2: Well, and that actually kind of brings me to this question too. Is it one or two games of Steen before they have to decide to send him down or have to – I think it's two games, right, before they might have to go back through the waiver process with him? So,
0: Yeah, his his next game will be his ninth. Once you get to 10, he would have to go through waivers again. So if he plays – if Steen plays Saturday and Monday, um, he would have to clear waivers again if they wanted to send him down.
2: And, correct me if I'm wrong, Lucic isn't scheduled to come back in that time frame. Like, that would be – they'd be missing each other by a game or two?
0: Yeah, we don't really know on Lucic yet. Um, We know – they're not really calling it a setback, but he was on the ice last week. He, so far, this week has not been on the ice. We'll see if he's out there Friday or not, but – Yeah, Montgomery said he's about a week behind, and we don't know exactly what the timetable was initially. This Saturday is the first game he's eligible to come off long-term IR, but we don't know if, like, did they originally think he was going to be ready for this Saturday, or did they all along think it was going to be some point after that? So Lucic really could be anywhere from, like, a week away to possibly even longer than that. Like, we just don't really know right now.
2: And I, I asked those two things because if you're sending Steen down, because you don't want to do you don't want to go through the waiver process again, do you bring Lysel up? Do you like do you elevate someone else up um, after Steen's nine games? So that's just just a thought. Um, if you're deciding to go that route, you'll need to bring someone else up from Providence more than likely. So um, there could be a rotation there
0: yeah i don't I don't think it it wouldn't be like sell just because the roles are so different um personally i would just keep playing steen and worry about the waiver situation later um i i don't know i mean I, I, on the one hand i get like the roster management part of it but at the same time it's like okay so you're gonna call you're gonna send Steen down after nine games because you don't want him to get to ten so it's like well, then what does that mean you're not calling him up the rest of the year? Cause you never want him to get to 10. Like that's true because it doesn't, you might not, as well just play him.
2: That's true. I mean, it's, it's obviously a risk that someone else might pick him up. I mean, AJ Greer did get picked up when they waived him. Uh, so uh, that's, that's what you have to worry about. But like you've, if you've exhausted his 10 games, then that doesn't mean he you send him back down and he comes back up. Like, no, that's it for the season. So like the waiver situation doesn't go away. And more than likely, they're going to need him. Uh, and I think he's played well. So it's it's kind of a, a crappy situation if you've seen and you've played well enough where they're like, we got to send you down because we think someone will claim you. It's not really incentivizing great play. It's also like it's you're doing everything right, but you're not getting rewarded in that kind of situation, which would be a real bummer for him because I think he's played pretty well.
1: All right. So what do we have next here?
2: All right. Let's... Let us revisit the long list. Bridget, do we want to –
0: since we kind of touched on potentially trading for a top six, I think we had one about, like, how are they going to be able to um, make a trade?
2: Yes, Jeff emailed us and said, given the cap situation, how can the Bruins make additions at the trade deadline? So, yes, I guess that kind of gets us into it. In this situation, guys, were you talking about – when talking about trying to fill in a a top six winger, were you talking about this being in like a situation that would happen before the deadline though? Like, are you trying to make a move a little bit before that? Or if if you're really in need of a a winger there? I know obviously they have other guys in the system, but they're not top six wingers.
0: Yeah. I mean, first off, I would say like, absolutely no rush to do anything you have the best record in the NHL so I'm fine waiting until you get a lot closer to the trade deadline um on the like how do you do something with so little cap space you do accrue cap space throughout the year so we've we've talked about this a little bit in past seasons but you know worth kind of reminding people like teams accrue cap space during the season and that so you end up with more cap space at the trade deadline to be able to add someone than you had on opening night and according to cap friendly right now the bruins like technically right now have like $55,000 in cap space but their deadline cap space is projected to be a little under 2.7 million and they can now the one issue they've hit the little snag that they've hit here is they're using long-term injured reserve and you don't accrue cap space. If you have guys on LTIR and you're, you know, quote unquote, over the cap. Um, so you want to get out of long-term injured reserve as quickly as possible. And again, Grizzlick due back by next Saturday, Lucic could be back around that same time that would get them out of LTIR and they could start accruing cap space again. So, you know, already like 2.6 million isn't completely insignificant. Like that can lend you something. Even if that's all you have, like there's obviously always an option to move salary out somewhere too, you know, maybe, maybe by that point Mason Loray has established himself as an everyday player and, you know, one of Grizzly or four board is, is on the trading block because they've kind of been shuffled out of the lineup. Like there's, I guess what I would say is like if the Bruins feel like they need to go get a top six winger, there's what, there's always ways to make it happen.
2: And when you think about last year's deadline, the Bruins moved Craig Smith's cap hit elsewhere to the Capitals. So um, yeah, there's ways to, to shed a little bit of cap there. At the deadline, um, and obviously we're still very far away from that. We're, we're not going to be in real, you know, discussion. Well, I'm sure we will, but like it, it, it's in the spring. <laughs> we have time uh, to to talk about that and um, other trades like we've gotten into in the past. But I do think that as of right now, a top six winger is still the the main thing that they would be looking to target. So um, they would, and for a top six guy you probably do need more than 2.7 cap space, unless someone's retaining part of a contract somewhere. So there would have to be like an accompanying move, like Scott mentioned.
1: Yeah, nothing more to add. Scott kind of covered all those bases there and Bridget as well.
2: Okay. And uh, so I don't know if we want to stick with Jeff's email because another question he had was, who is the most unexpected, pleasant surprise? We can be quick about this because I think we've ta- we've touched on this a few times.
1: Okay, I will say, uh, aside from the obvious, which would be Matthew Potcher, I'm going to go with JBR. I-, I think he's been a very, very – I mean, honestly, if you were to look around the league and look at the free agent signings based on what they signed for, he has to be – the the best bargain and one of the best free agent acquisitions for any team over the course of the summer. Um, so I'll say James Van Ramesdijk.
0: I'll say – so I'm going to say someone that I touched on a little bit earlier, but Derek Forbert, I think, is legitimately playing better than he was last season, um, especially at 5-5. Five and five. We know he's he's always had the penalty killing, but I think he's been – really strong in his own zone, not giving up chances. I I remember one of our early podcasts this season, I mentioned that he had like some really sloppy breakout passes. And I was like, he's going to have to get that cleaned up or he's, he's not going to play like it's Laura. I will get a chance at some point and that'll be it. Well, I think he has cleaned that up. Like I can't, I'm trying to think of like nothing obvious is coming to mind, but I feel like it's, been quite a while now since Forbert's had like a bad turnover on a breakout i think he has cleaned it up and simplified and again as i mentioned earlier like i know this isn't entirely his doing obviously he can only be as good as the guys around him but when you see eight to one goal differential when he's been on the ice starting I think it's like under 25% of his shifts in the offensive zone. And like when he when he's on the ice, the Bruins are often starting in their own zone. They're not giving anything up. And then they're scoring at the other end. Like what more can you ask out of out of a third-pairing guy?
2: Yeah, and, and to stick with a defenseman that also I wouldn't say it's a pleasant surprise and that we don't expect him to to be a good player every year, but Brendan Carlo has exceeded expectations as well. I think Brendan Carlo was having such an incredible season in all facets of the game. He even scored the other day, Um, but mostly we're talking about his penalty killing and how he's been able to shut down offenses and um, how confident he's looked out there for the first part of the season so far. So I would say he's a pleasant surprise in that he's kind of taken a step even higher in his career uh, in in what he's been able to do. And then I think that when you think about the the fourth line in general, every player that has been on the fourth line this year has been playing up to expectations and have all been um, not liabilities back there. And, and especially Johnny Beecher has been a pleasant surprise, similar to the way Matt Potter is, that he was ready and has taken over that role and has really made it his like I I don't feel like we're at a point in the season where we're thinking oh was this the right decision no he's made it look like this is my job and I'm gonna hold on to it for the whole season so the fact that these guys have come in and don't seem in jeopardy of losing the job they've they've done everything they need to to hold on to them that's all pleasant surprises
1: yeah and, and just piggybacking on a couple of those plays you mentioned Bridget starting with Carlo. I just feel like, yeah, I think you're you're wise to bring him up because he, in, in the latest behind the B, he was miked up for the Toronto game. And not only on the ice does he seem to be maturing, um, recognizing how uh, formidable he can be out there with his size and stature and his reach and his length and how good of a defender he can be. He's He's also added a little bit of physicality to his game that, let's be honest, just wasn't – not even like a, in like a Scott Stevens type of way. He's just a little bit more of a presence in front of his own net, a little bit more of a presence in the corners. That's all anybody was ever really kind of hoping he could do. Um, but from a leadership perspective, he seems to be – and I know Kevin Shattenkirk's back there, but he seems to be uh, somebody who has learned from being under Zdeno Chara and i mean hell even adam McQuaid, i think may have been around the team when when Carlo broke into the league and you know he there were there were veteran presence um guys back there and i just feel like while charlie mcavoy is clearly the he's he's the stallion on the back end i feel like mcavoy is just so focused and so dialed in to his own game because he has to be because the minutes he plays and just the demanding role I feel like it's kind of tough for him in game to also be that rah-rah guy for some of the younger defensemen. And I feel like Brandon Carlo has just really taken these younger players under his wing and including Mason Lori And uh, I-, I think that that's worth bringing up. He's, he's stepped up in that way for sure.
2: Yeah. And he wears yeah. the A, like he wears the A. He's become kind of a, a guy that we've heard Montgomery and others say has taken more of a role vocally in the locker room and on the bench and, in in particular with mason Lori, because those guys no, are kind of the lanky. mac
0: know. do you mean mcavoy or, or i'm
2: talking about carlo. carlo
0: well carlo doesn't wear an a but,
2: you, well, but yes i think has.
0: yeah for like a few games here on there, but yeah, yeah. You, you're right like yeah. he is stepping up as as a leader and you saw that in that behind the b episode um you know yeah mcavoy i think is just worried about catching his breath between shifts sometimes because he's out there so much um Yeah. By the way, with Carlo, also worth mentioning, he's playing nearly two minutes more per game than last year. Um, So, like, he does have like a little bit bigger role too. And part of that is probably that last year there was, you know, to use the load management term, like, so many games are blowouts that they could just balance out the ice time between everyone. Um, But they've they've leaned on him more, especially during those four games that McAvoy was out. I mean. Carlo had one game where he got up over 25 minutes, and I was like – I looked it up at the time. I think it was like the first time in two and a half years he had topped 25 minutes in a game. So, um, yeah, just a really strong all-around season from him so far.
2: Yeah, and I want to clarify. I don't mean that Carlo was wearing the A this year. In the past, he had rotated in the A. And I know he also is um, one of their ambassadors with the the – What's it called? The um players association.
0: Yeah, he he's their he's their player rep. So he's the yeah. Bruins representative for the NHL. So like
2: PA. he's he's trusted with that role as well as an off the ice thing, um, with the players association. So uh let us move to another question. We have some like overarching questions we can hit now. So Mark on YouTube says, Do the Bruins have the leaders to drive them to a cup this year?
1: I think that remains to be seen, honestly. Um, I think obviously you have Stanley Cup experience with Brad Marchand, obviously with the Bruins in 2011, and then Kevin Shattenkirk in Tampa Bay. Um, I think there's potential there for – obviously McAvoy and Carlo and Pashnak and others have been to a Stanley Cup final, but I guess – what. It's not I'm not saying and maybe this is a cop-out answer. I'm not saying that they don't. I'm just saying we we have to see it, quite frankly. And I think these players are entering their primes, they're in their primes. So in yeah, Marshand one and eleven, but he's also had his fair share of of, you know years where they didn't uh, maybe pull through. So they have leadership, they have potential. I just can't definitively say, especially on the heels of last season, that that they absolutely have the leadership to to win because I thought they had that last year. I mean, you had Marchand and Bergeron and Felino and, um, I mean, Orloff had won a cup and you, you, whatever. So I it remains to be seen for me that that might not be uh, the answer somebody's looking for But honestly, I just can't say that they do right now.
0: Yeah, and it's, to kind of piggyback off that, like it's one of those things that you you don't know if you have it until you actually do it. You know, like I think I think Mark in that same comment, you know, referenced like Chau and Bergeron in, in 2011. And it's like, yeah, but those guys didn't have it before then. Like neither of them had won a cup. You know, you did have Sean Thorne who had won in Anaheim who was obviously, um, you know, at least like an, an emotional leader on that team, even if he didn't wear a letter. You have Lucic kind of in that role this year as a fourth liner, um, which we you know forget about because he's been injured for so long now. But
1: he is, That's a he is very much
0: still he is very much still there. I um, forgot about
1: him just then, even recopying yeah. those names. So thank you for bringing him up.
0: Yeah. So you know, yeah, like I think I think Martian's doing a good job as captain so far. I think McAvoy and Parsonak are embracing you know stepping into even more of a leadership role, but sure, like, in, until they actually do it and this team goes on a long run and, and ideally wins a cup, like, yeah, they, they, haven't, they haven't done that yet. So I can't tell you with 100% certainty that they're going to be good enough leaders to 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 take this team there. Um, I would just say that, you know, a lot of teams have leaders who haven't done it until they do. You know, T- Tampa's leadership group, was known for choking before they went back to back cups. And now we look at, we rightly look at that group as like one of the best cores and one of the best leadership groups in the NHL.
2: Yeah. And, and I mean, the good news is that even though you lose Krejci and Bergeron, the culture really doesn't seem to have changed. Like the culture has like transcended the different generations of players from that 2011 cup run, and and Stanley Cup championship uh, to the players that are still there. It's kind of been passed down and passed down. That's also where coaching comes in. Sometimes it's about motivating guys the right way. Um, I also think, and this is a player we haven't really talked about, uh, in terms of leadership role, maybe Shattenkirk can be somebody that with his experience can maybe have a little bit of perspective and bring a little bit of outside perspective that they didn't have last year. Um, just because he's a veteran in the league and maybe you hear something that he has to say that is coming from outside your culture that maybe some sparks some sort of um, thought or conversation. Uh, there's definitely a lot of guys that you think, okay, if they're going to be successful and win a cup, it's going to be the guys wearing the A's and the C that are more than likely going to be the guys you need leading. Um, I also think that the Bruins goaltenders have some of like their personalities might be able to create some sort of a, a leadership around how solidly they're playing and how much you trust your goaltenders um, can, you can really rally around that at certain points in the season, especially if a goalie gets hot. So there's just so many different places it could come from. We just don't really, we haven't seen it um yet. So it's hard to answer.
1: You all, you mentioned coaching Bridget as well. And I also feel like, so, okay. So, yes, we've mentioned that you have Marshan, Lucic and Shattenkirk as guys with Stanley Cup championships uh, to their resume. But you've, last year, you lost Bergeron. You lost Felino, who, by the way, has never won a cup, but objectively a good leader. Um, Bergeron, Felino, um, Krejci. Jim Montgomery is coaching this year clearly with a far less good cup approach. Um, he's, his team is first in the league. They have the most points, best winning percentage, but he's not allowing that to, to blind him and and notice where they're, where they haven't been playing, um, great hockey necessarily at all times. And Scott mentioned the bag skate they had. And, and do you feel like Jim Montgomery is coaching with a different energy this year, because there's no Bergeron and there's no Krejci in the room to, in Foligno to police the room themselves, and it's just more of a mixed bag of players. It's a new group. Yeah, maybe he's feeling pressure on for his own job. I, I don't obviously not from it for his yeah. regular season uh, record, but do you th- do you think he just feels like the room might be more his than it was last year for a lot of reasons, not being his first year. Uh, and and the, the aforementioned names I said.
2: I, I think that it's important for him to be more involved this year because of the younger players, right? We see him around Patra all the time. Like, I feel like I always see him during the games. The TV shot of the bench is always him whispering something to Matt Patra or Johnny Beecher. Like, he needs to be hands-on breaking bad habits as they happen to those younger players. So that's one thing, like, that he's definitely been – uh having to lead in that way to teach the younger guys as things crop up um, what to do, what not to do in certain situations. And then Bergeron was somebody that he kind of just let take the reins a lot and, and do the, you know, the, the speeches and everything. But when it comes to actually coaching, like he was always the guy that uh, was making the final decision. So.
0: Yeah, I do think there's definitely different energy and I do think, the leadership's part of it. It's, it's not, you know, I don't think it's like any sort of flaw of Bergeron or craichi or Felino or whatever. I just think Montgomery didn't insert himself as much last year. And we heard that time and time again about, you know, I'd go to get on someone and Patrice had already talked to him about it. And it's like, okay, like there's not really a point to like doubling up the message, but I keep thinking back to um, at the end of season press conference that the Bruins did at the garden, where it was Montgomery, Sweeney, Neely. And I think, I don't remember if Charlie Jacobs was there. He might've been. Um, And Montgomery was asked about like lessons that he, he learned, you know, with the playoff loss. And he said like, I need to be more involved. I need to motivate guys more. And I think he was going to do that this season. Now, in retrospect, I think he probably already had a good idea at that point that Bergeron and Krejci were were retiring. But even if one or both of them were back, I think you'd see, maybe not quite to this extent, but I think he would have seen a change anyways because I do think he legitimately believes that he probably left it in players' hands a little too much last year and thought, you know, they don't need me stepping in. They have it under control and it's only when you lose that game seven that you realize like, geez, did I have to step in more? Should I have been more hands-on? Should I have gotten on these guys at times, even though, you know, the feedback I was getting was that they were handling it in-house. So yeah, I do think that's been a conscious shift from him and with so much turnover, I think this team probably needs it. So it's, it's a good thing. I also think Brad Marchand is is probably more open to that um, than maybe, you know, Bergeron might have been. I remember uh, when Montgomery got hired, he said like his first phone call with Marchand, Marchand made a comment about like, hey, we're yours. We want to be coached. Like, you know, it was like, it was like, yeah, get on us if you need to. Marchand on Monday when he was asked about the bag skates said like, yeah, Monty didn't think we were practicing well and felt like he had to step in, and sometimes a coach has to do that. So I also think, because I, I think Martian has that in him too. Like, I think he wants to get on guys sometimes. We've t- we've heard Jake DeBrus talk about Martian being hard on him when he doesn't bring it into practice. So, yeah, I do think there's, there's been a, certainly a shift from Montgomery, but also just in the, the leadership of the team in, in general.
2: And just, I just want to bring this up quick. Montgomery also, even though he's not coached a Stanley cup champion, he's won a national title with Denver. And that was not that long ago. In fact, he, uh, you know, some of his former players are on the team, Dan Heinen, though, I think we've well, oh, no, as, as we, as we figured out,
0: they, they actually aren't because they both missed it.
2: Yeah, they both they're, missed it. But
0: they're bumps and I don't know why they're here. No,
2: we are just kidding. Yeah, but he's used to so his experience comes from coaching young players um, in the college game in that stage of their development. So um, he has that experience and we're talking about what he's trying to do with Patra and, and Lori, And so he's experienced with that. Um, he's also experienced a college game has a lot of turnover every year. Guys graduate, guys sign in the NHL. So he's been able to take the turnover in stride and find new ways and new solutions. I think maybe that's one of the reasons why we'll see him trying different things all the time. Um, and so he has been a coach that has motivated and led a college team in Denver to a national title before. So he has that ability um, just to bring that into perspective that it's been done in the past, even though it wasn't at the NHL level.
1: All right. Yeah. I mean, like, like you guys mentioned, I think, I think it's true. I I don't think, I think last year Montgomery coming into the franchise, it's his first year you look across the room and you have Bergeron who's been there since 2003, since before the Red Sox broke the the curse of the Bambino. It's very obvious whose room it is. Right. So it was probably intimidating for him to try to impose his, his, his voice and influence in a, in a bad cop type of way. Um, so, I, I don't, like, Scott, you said you mentioned it. Like, it's I, I'm not casting blame on Felino or Creasy or Bergeron. Like, it's it's just the reality of what the situation was last year. It was a difficult situation for Montgomery, and yeah, you know, in doing so, they're also breaking NHL records. So there wasn't a ton of moments to probably be that guy, and then it all kind of came crashing down in the playoffs. And next thing they knew, they were done. So, I, I yeah, and and Marchand, I think is one of those guys who. Yeah, he 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 probably recognizes. Look, like we can't be comfortable in this room, and and everybody has a job to do. Your job is to coach, and and what that entails. So, um, I definitely feel that there's, there's a difference this year. And um, what'll be what'll be interesting is like, does Montgomery start to have like relationships sour with a couple of players, like in particular, like you know Jake DeBrus comes to mind, right? Like he's a player that didn't get along with Bruce Cassidy after a while. You know, if it, let's say. Montgomery and DeBrusque don't have a great relationship, you know. Towards the end of this year, even if it's like not a big deal, but maybe the Brewers are just sitting there saying, "Like, all right, well, DeBrusque is up for a contract. He's had two coaches, one a player-friendly coach, one a non that both kind of say he might be tough to coach." These are just little things I'm saying that like could come out in the in the in the laundry machine um, with Montgomery being more of a um, diverse personality. You might start to get some more feedback from his perspective. I don't know, it's it just – that's just what, where, where my mind goes with the different energy this year. You know, it, it might cause some – it might ruffle some feathers, but oh well. I'm going to
2: get – oh, sorry. I We don't have a lot of time. I was going to jump to the next question, but if you have something, Scott.
0: I was just quickly going to say, like, I also think there's, at least so far, a little bit of a difference where Montgomery isn't really tearing anyone down individually. Like, even when he benched Alora, it was – Hey, it's a teaching moment. It's not, you know, punishment. He's taking more of like a tear down the whole team. If the situation calls for it, right. Like the whole team's bag skating. It's not someone, you know, getting kicked out of practice or bench for a game. It's, you know, Hey, everyone's got to work harder.
2: All right. So we don't have a lot of time. We have one question I want to get to. We're going to give a real quick answer. And then we I'm going to merge together some goalie questions we got. So this one we need to I need to read this because of the Twitter handle is Don's Weenie. And that's kind of hilarious. Um, uh, Don's Weenie on Twitter says, I I is
0: the most mature person on this podcast, as we've established. You know, I, I just got to say really, really beneath
1: everyone. But
2: no, yeah, no.
1: I, I love it it's also yeah. it's also happens to be scott's alias so and i was going
2: to say i kind of has scott written all over it this is um burner. he wish if not he wishes he thought of it so anyway uh the question is why are the bruins having more success than other teams with similar or even superior rosters to the bruins like tampa bay and my the next questions are going to be about goaltending including this one uh are the bruins goaltending and defense making up for you know, I guess kind of the same thing. The fact that maybe other teams have better uh talent on the front end are the Bruins defensemen and goalies making it. So some of those mistakes made just don't end up in the back of the net.
0: Yeah. When, when I was at BU, I got to talk to Jack Parker every week and one of his famous sayings was this game should be called goalie. And Sometimes it's really that simple. The reason, the biggest reason the Bruins are doing much better record-wise than pick pick your, you know, Eastern Conference favorite of choice, Toronto, Tampa, Carolina, New Jersey, is the Bruins have the best goaltending in the NHL. And I'm looking at save percentage. Bruins are at 936 as a team. Tampa Bay, without Andre Vasilevsky who's still out injured, 21st at 888 Toronto 22nd 887 New Jersey 30th 874 Carolina 31st also at 874 just percentage points under New Jersey but like yeah we could do a deeper dive on you know New Jersey in particular Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer have been injured that's a huge factor there Um, but really more than anything else it just comes down to the Bruins are getting elite goaltending and those teams are getting bad
1: goaltending. It's sounds like New Jersey.
2: Sounds like New Jersey might be missing Pavel Zaka a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you
2: think about it. Uh, but yeah. So I think it is that simple. I it, it, The Bruins have an elite defense and two elite goalies, and that yeah. is going to save you um, from mistakes, uh, make up for breakdowns. Um your goalie's getting you more saves,
1: Scott. How has and Bridget? I don't mean to to jump in. I'm actually curious because it it really is Scott's answer. It's it's the goaltending. What are the underlying analytics regarding the Bruins' defense and what they're giving up? Because I do feel like the reason the goaltending has been so strong is because of the numbers, but also like. Yeah, like they are also saving the Bruins defense is bacon as well. Yes, the Bruins structurally have, I think, one of the best defense structures and cores in the league. But even beyond them, like they are also bailed up by Swayman and Allmark. And I would, I just wanna like highlight that because it, it really emphasizes just how much the goaltending is the reason that the Bruins are where they are.
0: Yeah, so the Bruins are still ranking like the top 10 in terms of expected goals against. What I would say about that, though, is it's almost twofold where their in-zone defense has still been really good. They're When teams get into the zone, even if the Bruins allow some possession because they do tend to be a little more passive and not um, kill plays quickly enough sometimes, but they don't give up great chances. Like j- They're just structurally sound. Um, where they're struggling defensively, and Montgomery has talked about this, I know Nesson had a stat about it a few games ago from um, from a, like a, a pay service, not a, a publicly available stat site. Their rush defense has not been good this year. They have given up a lot of odd man rushes. Montgomery even said that after the win in Buffalo that they're still giving up too many. Um and that kind of that really starts like in the offensive zone to something else that we've talked about and Montgomery's talked about is they haven't they haven't always been a great possession team this year. Um, you know, Montgomery said they've had too many, too many one and duns. And when you think about it, like that's that's a way to give up an on-man rush, right? If your team is going forward thinking they're about to get, you know, some offensive chances, and you take a shot, there's a rebound. No one's there to get the rebound. Now it's coming back the other way. So um, they do definitely have to clean that up. And I'm sure some of it is things like, like gap control, like the actual technicalities of defending a rush. And some of it is just being smarter with the puck in the offensive zone and not, not giving it away in spots that lead to those odd man rushes.
2: Yeah, basically not getting caught too deep and not making turnovers at the blue line, like your offensive blue line. Um, And I can think of a few that happened with Lorai that McAvoy was able to get back and kind of cover for him a little bit. Um, But I want to skip to the last goalie questions, which are one about each. So this one from Chip, uh, who emailed us said, Elliot Freeman mentioned Swayman could be extended after the new year. Are you hearing anything about that? I'm going to start first and say what I do know is that Swayman said he does not want to go back to arbitration, which is what would happen because he only got a one-year deal after this past arbitration. And um, hearing Swayman speak about how awful um, that process was, having to have your team come out and say you're only worth this much money and, and just like the mental fatigue that it caused and, and it, it doesn't feel good. In that situation, those are hard things to hear. He said he doesn't want to get back to that point. So it's not like I, I don't expect that he's gonna make it all the way to the to to free agency to arbit, in another arbitration. So that would mean an extension would be happening for Swayman during the season at some point. Scott, I don't know if you have a different uh thought on that, but that's where my mind goes just thinking back to what Swayman said.
0: Well, so I guess I I would offer a little bit of a counter to that. So for just to kind of cover the like minutiae of it, because Swamin signed over the summer, he can't sign an extension right now, starting January 1st, he can. And I think, I think Friedman mentioned that on um, the 32 thoughts podcast, which is where this came from. I think it would be more in the, honestly more in the Bruins interest to try to get this done in season because you look at the way Swayman started, this can turn into a Postonac thing last year where the longer he keeps playing like this, the more his value goes up, the higher that number on the next contract gets. So Swayman could, we've talked about how he's a confident player. He could bet on himself, say, you know, I feel great. I think I'm going to keep playing like this. You know, if if you're if the Bruins come in and offer $5 million, I don't know, maybe Swamin holds out and thinks he can get more than that, so... In arbitration? Um,
2: in arbitration, are you talking about?
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: if, if he has a season like Lena Salmark had last year, like, has a strong playoff run, it, sure, he, he could get more than $5 million in arbitration.
2: Maybe, but I, I... Like, after hearing him in his own words explain how terrible that was, I really don't think he's going to arbitration again. So... Well, it's. I mean, I mean, when you combine it's not all necessarily
1: of necessarily what- his, I feel like it's not necessarily his um his choice. If the team doesn't want to play ball before, then he yeah, might not but, want to. But if they don't want to, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, but I think there's motivation on both sides to get a deal done before that. That's what I yeah. what I'm kind of pointing to. Because if the team wants to lock him down, like you said, Scott, because um, he's playing well before, he might even start demanding more money um and him not wanting to go to arbitration it seems like those are all reasons why this might happen sooner and obviously you mentioned it can't happen until January so some point between January and the end of the season that it seems likely to me that that's when a deal would be reached and I don't see yeah. any reason why they would not want to extend Swayman so
0: yeah no I, I think you're right that like there there would be mutual interest in getting something done but it's it's got to be legit like it if the Bruins come in at, like four years, you know, four point two million a year, like that's, if I'm swimming I don't know why I lock myself into that through his prime years when he could potentially be setting himself up for like, you know, to be paid like one of the top goaltenders in the league. So
2: you think they would? It's
0: gotta be it's gotta be a real offer. Like I, I don't. If you're the Bruins, like you, especially after playing hardball last year, like you can't come in and lowball. I mean, in January.
2: No, Especially- that's I I think that too. They can't lowball him. I, I don't even think it's worth trying cuz like you you already understand where his camp is at. Um it would just be another insult added if you come in with a lowball.
1: Yeah, and when he's and when he is leading the league in save percentage and goals against average, um you know, within months after an arbitration, it's just it's yeah, it's just not smart business for the Bruins right now to try to lock him up as you, as you said, uh to have a fair offer. What's left, Bridget?
2: Last one is about Olmark. Um, any concerns at all that the trade talk around Olmark could affect his play on the ice? And that is referring to some conversations that were around trading Olmark for Leon Dreisaitl, uh, and a bunch of other pieces in the package, uh, trading him to the Oilers because the Oilers are in desperate need of goaltending. Um, so thoughts on that, guys. I'll start. I don't think the noise really comes in. Um, I don't think he hears that and thinks anything of it, especially, I mean, you can convince yourself that's a crazy trade proposal anyway and not realistic. And we're not at the deadline. I don't think this is something that he hears. He may maybe never even heard of it. And if he did, he probably laughed. Um, So I don't think this affects him at all.
1: I agree, Bridget. I mean, you you can only control what you can control. He knows that. And I don't even think that, as you mentioned, the outside noise is even infiltrating uh, his mind at all. So uh, I don't find it to be a distraction for him at all. Don't think I think it's a non-issue.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think Lena Salmark is paying attention to sports radio or any media outlet of any kind. Um, well, he listens to the Skate Pod, obviously. That's true, of course. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think these trade rooms are coming up during his uh, his afternoon fika, which you know we've we've learned about the
2: coffee.
0: Sweet, yes, yeah, I Swedish know that traditions. one.
2: Mm-hmm. I am I am Swedish, so I do know some of these words. <laughs> um, yeah, fika is coffee, but like yeah, I don't I don't
0: think it's going to affect him. I, I think he'll he'll be just fine.
2: Yeah, um, he's him and Swamin are too busy about their. worrying about their hug form and making sure that it is both technically sound and not going to get them injured. Um, So yeah, bigger things to worry about uh, for those two. Anyway, I think that we got through everything. Um, So thank you guys for sending your questions uh, slash comments to Twitter, YouTube, our email. Um, Those are great.
0: Yeah, thanks everyone. We, We appreciate it.
1: A lot of fun. A lot of fun so the uh so this episode will be dropping on uh friday and which means that the bruins are playing the canadians tomorrow at td garden uh, a rematch of last week obviously the bruins weren't happy with that performance led to a, a bag skate in practice following a lackluster practice and so i'm sure the bruins are going to want to kind of avenge that loss uh i don't know if i mean obviously Luigi is still out, so still not a ton of muscle for the Bruins in this uh, rivalry, which is unfortunate, but nonetheless, I thank you all for listening. Bridget and Scott, you guys have nothing else to add? No. All right. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy your weekends. We will talk to you very soon.